So what's the fastest way to get to know someone? To get to know someone beyond like the surface, to get to know their heart. I mean, you could check their social media profile, really know someone's heart looking at their Instagram pictures. You could listen to what they say. You could see what they do at work. Maybe you could ask their real good friends, who if they're good friends will kind of tell you the truth. Remember last week's sermon. All right, this is one of those sermons where I ask a question in the beginning and you're not gonna get the answer till right at the end. So just, just prepare yourself. If I forget to get back to it, warning. All right. So we've been going through this series and this is the last sermon in this series, uh, which I think I said was 10 rules for life, but it's only been eight. So sorry for the false advertising. Rule one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Rule two, God blesses those who keep his commands. Number three, Keep your heart, don't follow it. Those are the kind of foundational things and then the practical outworkings. Number four, drink at home, which means avoid the ruin of sexual immorality. Uh, five, get up early and then be diligent in all that you're called to do. Six, eat only the best food. And if you don't know what that means, you gotta listen to the whole sermon, but it's a great rule. Rule seven, Live the truth, which we learned that God abominates lies. And the final rule, at least for this summer, we're still going to call this summer as long as we can, <laughs> is, what is it? <laughs> Don't trust money. <laughs> Next summer, we'll likely go to 2 Kings, and then we'll get back to the second half of this in like 2025. Uh, maybe Jesus will come back before then, and we'll all be blessed more. So, our main text today is Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. At the most basic level, you can't eat your silver in the siege. I just read it in my Bible reading. There's this moment in Jerusalem that Ezekiel shows us. And it's these wealthy people in the town and they're surrounded by the Babylonians. And when the food runs out, what good does your silver do you? Ezekiel 7:19. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it. For it was a stumbling block to their iniquity. Count your blessings, but make sure you count the right ones. 
There's not one cent, not one bit of property that you have on earth that will help you on the day that you have to face God's judgment. You know, life goes so much faster than you think. Ugh, everybody warned me this would happen, and they were right, and I was like, oh, no, it's like, it seems, it's, it's like the Facebook memories thing. You guys have Facebook memories? I've been on Facebook for like 15 years now, which is like a very long time, and all of a sudden it pops up. This is going to school, so there's always pictures, and I'm like looking at my kindergartner going on the bus. I'm like, man, that was yesterday, and now it's her senior year. Yeah, parents, be warned. It will happen. And I'm sure there will be a day sometime when I'm maybe old, unless I die doing something dumb before that, <laughs> where I'm facing about the final day of my life, and it will all have gone just like that. And then I think what really matters Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Remember. Now, this is like our proverb from last week where we have this kind of negative statement about like what's bad, like riches, and then a positive one, what righteousness does. Last week we learned that God not only dislikes lies, but God abominates lies. In verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And in the current verse, we have the same pattern again, this negative statement, again with uh, some relation to money, but the implications of it go far deeper than just money. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Now it says money won't help you in a day of wrath. And, and the wrath here, it doesn't say what kind of wrath it is. And it could be human wrath, like the Ezekiel, they were facing human wrath there. But the fact is, like riches often do help with human wrath. You can buy off the mob with extortion money. Sometimes judges can be bought. It's really interesting how like, you know, rich, wealthy people, like they seem to get a lot less lower prison sentences and get off a lot more than people with less means. Now, we store up money on earth because we feel like it gives us security. And, you know, that security is a very tempting thing because it, it royally sucks to be poor, like really poor. I think about this, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. My wife and I, we were married for maybe less than a year and we went to the superstore in Winnipeg and we bought $50 of groceries. So it's a lot of groceries back then. And we go to checkout and I have my like debit card and it's like declined because of insufficient funds. We didn't have money to buy groceries. We got to walk out of the grocery store with nothing. Probably the most embarrassing. Like, it's just like, and that's, that is really hard. 
And so, money gives us some kind of comfort. But as comforting as it can be, in the final accounting, as hard as it is to be poor, riches will not help us before God. There's one thing that's easy to overlook in Proverbs is that it's, it's wisdom, but it's not worldly wisdom. And we know like at the foundation, the beginning of, of wisdom is the fear, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's actually like God is like so present at every moment. So we live the truth because at root, God is true. It's because of what God feels about it. In the same way, in the same way, when we think of riches, we think of them in relation to God. They will not profit in the day of God's wrath. The Proverbs are always about how we relate to God, not just how we relate in some worldly sense. God is always very present in Proverbs. Another thing we want to look at when we look at this text, and I didn't have time to go into this last week, so we're going to go into this week, is that Proverbs have context. And it can be very easy to read them. It's just like, okay, this like little statement, we pull it out here. But they have context. Now, everything in the Bible has a context because it has like, it's in the Bible, whole thing, context. We're going to read it in light of everything, especially the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But the Proverbs are in a book, and so you have to read a whole book together. But even individual Proverbs are in sections that you want to read to understand what's really going on. And that's how you kind of keep from taking things out of context. And Proverbs are things that people, some preachers, I won't name any names, love to take out of context. You have to ask me, then I'll give you the names <laughs> off the pulpit. Um, in these verse, in these eight verses, we have the righteous person and the wicked person and they're compared in how they act and the results of which. So the righteous person has truth, modesty, integrity, righteousness, obviously, that's the definition, and uprightness. All of this life leads to wisdom, it leads them on the right path, it saves them from death, it keeps them from trouble, and ultimately will deliver them. In comparison to this, in these eight verses, is the wicked person. The person who uses the false scales. They are prideful, perverse, gain wealth by corruption, have illicit desires, and all of this leads to them being disgraced, leads to devastation, death, falling into traps, and ultimately receiving the troubles that the righteous are rescued from. Which is such a cool, like, they'll receive the, the troubles the righteous are rescued from in verse 8. If you had to summarize these eight verses, it would be that righteousness saves from death, but wickedness leads to death. And at this point, when you, when you kind of break it down, like one of the criticisms people give of Proverbs is that they're too simple. 
It's like, oh yeah, be good, good things will happen, be bad, bad things will happen. I know some people who talk like that. Eliphaz, Zophar, you know, Job's friends in there. They're just like, well, Job, you should have been a little better. Things wouldn't be so bad. But if you actually take the time to read carefully in the book of Proverbs, it is not saying that righteous people don't have trouble. Just look closer. Verse 8, the righteous is delivered from trouble. Trouble. Now, what does that mean? It means they will be delivered, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they don't have trouble. It means that in the final accounting of things, they will be delivered just as like Daniel, like a lot of bad things happened to him, was taken into cavity, into captivity, thrown into the lion's den. Just like Saul, who lists, or Paul, also Saul, has this, Paul has this whole list of terrible things that happened, shipwreck, beatings, lashings, but in the final counting, everything is blessed because in the end, God will set things right. In the end, God will set things right. Because you really have to see, like it is looking at like the final accounting because look at verse seven. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. It's like, so this, is like, this isn't just thinking about, okay, do this today and this will be better. But in the biggest long term, and that's really like wisdom, is like doing the long term thing that's good. Think about an investment, like the foolish person is always like jumping on this and then, oh, we say, we'll talk about farmers here for just a second. Farmers... They love to hold on to their, their, their crops when prices are going up. And they're thinking, man, I'm just going to like wait till the top of the market. Then all of a sudden, the things are crashing and they're like, sell, 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 sell. Because they make short-term decisions instead of looking at long-term trends. And in the same way, wisdom, so many ways, is, is accounting for all of life's realities. Wisdom is looking to the fact of eternal life, not just the next five minutes. Like, don't count the Christian life as foolish because it's been hard doing the right thing. It's kind of like me. Uh, you know, there was one time in my life I wanted to start playing guitar. Yeah. And, and I had this vision, like, I was going to be, like, I was going to be up there, like, Jeremy, just shredding on that guitar. <laughs> And like Kari knows guitar, and I'm like, okay, you're just gonna teach me. So I sit down, and I'm like, and I'm like doing this thing with my fingers, and like, fling. and it's terrible. And I, I worked at it for like a good like 32 minutes, <laughs> and I couldn't play at all. And so many times we look at God's word and think like, what has this done for me in this 32 minute stretch? that I'm walking in faithfulness. Forgetting that wisdom takes into account not just five minutes, but eternity, eternity. Solomon knows that lying gains in the short term. Like the wicked have riches in verse four. The righteous have trouble in verse eight. But the ultimate end of the righteous life is life. 
like the tortoise just doing the right thing, what may look like it's losing, but the tortoise wins doing it God's way. Now, when we read the Old Testament, as I've, I've used this metaphor a lot of times, we want to read it like a transparency, you know, like the overhead projector, put it on, it's like looks, light shines through. We want to read the pages like transparently to look to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and, and I just love this verse because it says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And now that could be a little bit of a hope because I'd be like, okay, man, real righteous is going to deliver from death. But then I kind of think like, man, the trouble is I'm not all that righteous. And, and in the fullest sense, like the only like righteous man is the man, Jesus Christ. Who died, but God raised him up. This is Acts 2.24. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Being God and being a righteous man. Like literally the fulfillment of this. The righteous man. Like death could not hold him because of his righteous life. And so in the place of trusting money, like the thing we can really trust in is Jesus Christ, who was the righteous one whom death could not defeat. We can claim the promise of life in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and offers to us, offers to us life eternal, offers us righteousness when we trust in him. He is the righteous one who stood in our place, died on the cross for our sins. And as soon as we look to Christ and we look, man, like Christ died for our sins, how beautiful that is. How wonderful a treasure that we can have salvation from nothing that we have done. We have been the ones who have longed after money, but Christ died in our place. As soon as we see that beautiful gospel truth, we can look at Christ, who also calls us to live a certain way with money as well. Who wants us to remind us of the same truth that we learned here in Proverbs. The words of Christ, no one can serve two masters. Matthew 6.24 For he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. On the last day, only one of those masters can save your life. The other is worthless. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, Luke 6.20. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The wise man looks to what is eternal instead of what is passing and cannot profit on the last day. Jesus said it is easy, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 18, 25, and I would remind us all that we're in the top like 5% of income if we're living here. Most of us, not maybe everybody. 
So in the place of trusting money, who do we trust in? We trust in Jesus Christ. The righteous man, the death has no hold, the one who fulfills all the promises. Now riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Righteousness delivers from death. In the New Testament, there's actually a very straightforward, I think, interpretation of this very verse. And I think it's found in James 5, and it's a little bit hard to hear, but let's hear it anyways. James 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Okay, don't trust money. Don't trust money. It's not going to go well in the last days. Summary, and then we'll get into just some practical ways to stop trusting money. Actually, just one. One, we don't trust money because it won't last. Now, it usually doesn't even last in this life. I mean, every time I go to the grocery store, I feel like my dollar is getting less valuable. Okay, because it is. Um, don't trust in money because, and I would say this unrighteous wealth, invokes God's wrath. And wealth can be unrighteous in two ways. What, uh, one of my favorite King James-isms is what he calls unrighteous wealth. He calls filthy lucre, which is just, just a great phrase. Number one, if it's ill-gotten, Ill if you've used unbalanced scales, not paid someone fairly, and we know this, God abominates false scales. But secondly, unrighteous wealth is when our money is idolatry. When you've honestly worked hard, but you're just saving it up yourself to give yourself security and comfort. Or using it merely for your pleasures, for yourself and your family. And it's really the lesson of the rich young ruler. You know, the man who was righteous, and wealthy, but loved money. Jesus asked him one question, sell all, he ha all you have and give to the poor. And his problem was he put money before Jesus. You know, I think we often think of, of the rich young ruler's sin as maybe a little bit minor, like, oh yeah, like he couldn't give it all. But in the final accounting, he has the same sin as Judas. The same sin as Judas. 
and that he put money before Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler doesn't seem like ninth circle of hell material. And yet, Judas and the rich young ruler put money ahead of Jesus, and when we do the same thing, don't trust money. It won't last, and it invokes God's wrath. So how do we practically stop trusting money and instead have full trust in Jesus Christ? There's only one thing to safely do. Just one. Do you guys know what it is? Because it's Jesus' advice to the rich and ruler. Any bit of money that is a temptation, any property that is a temptation to idolatry to put forward before God, give it away. Now, I say this, I, I should have taken the offering before this because I'm like, I'm like, I, I want to make a note, like, like, I like review the budget, like our church is doing like just fine. Like, I'm not like, we do not need any more of your, of, of money, like right now. Sometime in the future, we might ask for money. We don't really need any, like whatever you're giving, it's all good. So I'm not, I'm not like laying on like, hey, you guys need to give, but we should be radically generous in our lives to everything that has need. And there are a million things that have need. Like missionaries should not be over begging for people to give, but they should be telling like, stop, we have enough. Now it's hard. It's hard to be radically generous in our lives because comforts are so comfortable. But remember, remember the truth of just how silly money is. We have the silver in the siege. I think of, uh, anyone ever read the Jungle Book? Jungle Book, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Mowgli. Mowgli at one point goes into this like, underground cavern and it's just filled with treasure. Filled with treasure. All the treasure that you could possibly imagine. And he just like picks it up and it's just like, huh. It doesn't make me warm. I can't eat it. It's a silly thing. He just sort of tosses it away. He just doesn't understand it. Because in the end, like, wealth isn't going to help him in the jungle. It's like wealth is not going to help us in our real home. Now, Jesus gives us one strong motivation, and I think it's like the greatest motivation there is because it's the one Jesus gave. Is that, yeah, like you cannot, you, it, it's not going to do anything on the day of wrath. But there is one thing that you can do with your wealth, which is just incredible. But Jesus says, like, there's one thing that you can do to make internal significance. It says Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags do not, do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Randy Alcorn loves to say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. 
which is just a fantastic deal, really. Like, like really like eternal significance for this thing that will not provide us with one bit of enjoyment the moment we close our eyes in death. So, how do you really know someone, like quickly, in like five minutes? To know someone's heart, to know someone's priorities, the easiest shortcut you can take. Don't look. Give me five minutes with someone's credit card statement and bank account. And that's the challenge for us to consider ours. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that we would take your warnings seriously and the comfort of your gospel sweetly that our hearts would be moved to be radically generous in all that we do with our money, with our time, with our whole lives that we would really invest in the one wise thing there is in your kingdom. Lead us by your power to do the hard things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I'm feeling convicted too. It's probably the right thing. <laughs>